It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Charlie Potter here, your host of the Great Outdoors Show on WGN Radio. Thank you for joining me on this, the last Sunday of 2023. As the clock, calendar, and everything moves forward tomorrow, I hope you all have a wonderful, happy, and healthy new year. The last show of the year, I always talk about things that we hope will happen in the coming year. This show is going to be no exception. I'm going to talk about some issues that are of real importance on a national level, which and also on a local level in the Chicago area, which if they happened in 2024 would be terrific for the outdoors and for conservation. First issue is something called R3, Recruit, Retain, and Reactivate, which is a national program to encourage more people to go hunting. And directly tied to R3 is a program called Hunter Education. The two go hand in hand, although they are separate in how they operate and how they are funded. And they go hand in hand because Hunter Education certificates, which in Illinois, if you were born after 1982, I believe, you have to have a Hunter Education certificate in order to go hunting. You can get a one-time apprentice license, which means kind of like you test drive. You decide whether or not you actually like hunting before you have to go take the course. But if you once you had an apprentice license, you then have to take the hunter education course. This is true in every state in America. And we wonder why the participation rates in hunting are in dramatic decline. Those who are proponents of the R3 program, retain, reactivate, and recruit, don't seem to make the connection between recruiting new hunters or reactivating old hunters and the need to take a hunter safety class and pass it before you can go hunting. I can speak of firsthand experience with literally dozens. I think now at this point in time, I can name over 100 individuals that I personally know friends of my kids, friends of mine who would like to go hunting and have never taken the hunter safety course and therefore do not go hunting. If I can name over 100 people and I'm just one person, think of that ripple effect across the country. It is an absolute impediment to the future of hunting to require individuals to spend 20 hours or more at their computer taking a class which has all kinds of questions that, frankly, have absolutely nothing to do with what they might be hunting. The most important thing to know about hunting is that a gun is a mechanical device that can fail and never point it at anything that you don't intend to shoot. That is the fundamental and only thing that is necessary to safely hunt, to discharge a firearm. It's a mechanical device that can fail and never pointed at anything you don't intend to shoot. Many of you listening learned how to hunt from members of your family, from friends. You didn't take a hunter safety course. I didn't take a hunter safety course. But I know an awful lot about hunter safety, not only from having 
I have taken a hunter safety course now, but to go hunting for the first time, I didn't take a hunter safety course. I take a hunter safety course because I wanted to hunt in Colorado, and Colorado won't let you hunt without having taken a hunter safety course. Same is true of Canada, by the way. So we have put up this high wall, this impediment to having people go hunting, and then we spend tens of millions of dollars trying to recruit people to go hunting, and we wonder why hunter numbers are plummeting. So in the new year, in 2024, I am hopeful that there is a coming together of the disparate interests who have a stake in the future of hunting in America. And they come together to really examine what are the impediments to people hunting and how can we reduce those impediments. It's talked about we've lost so many hunters. Do we talk about how many acres we've lost? Do we have any idea between 1970 and today, over a 50-year period, how much land that was available to be hunted is no longer available? Just look at the urban sprawl of cities that hardly existed in 1970 or were a lot smaller, Atlanta, Denver, Dallas, just to name a few. Those cities have exploded, and in their explosive growth has come a loss of opportunities to hunt, pushing people further and further out away from the cities with places to hunt. It's a very complex issue as to why the number of people hunting in America is declining, as it's a very complex issue as to why people who do actively hunt feel that there is far too much hunting pressure in the areas and on the resources that they hunt than there has been. It could be transportation, it could be mobility, it could be time. Ever since COVID, it seems like we have more time and we have the ability to spend the money to travel and to buy the things we need to hunt. So it's quite possible that fewer people are actually putting more pressure on resources on a ever-shrinking landscape on which one can go hunting. Is it realistic to try to have hunter numbers from the 1980s and 1990s even on a landscape that has a lot fewer places for people to go hunting? All these questions come together to form a mosaic of how hunting in America in the future is going to be managed and sustained. And it seems to me as I talked to you this morning on this, the last day of 2023, that it's like a distended appendage. It's like an octopus. You got all these tentacles out there. But there's no central core that's pulling them all together. And maybe what we really need in 2024, before we spend a single dollar more on trying to recruit, retrain, and retain and reactivate, maybe what we really need is an understanding of the entire landscape. And certainly part of that has to be an understanding of how does this hunter education certificate requirement impact the future of people and the current practice of people trying to go hunting. That's one thing I sure hope for in 2024. Another thing that would be really nice in 2024 is that we can talk about volunteerism. Cook County Forest Preserve and Forest Preserves across the country have passed very large bond issues in the last few years to rebuild forest preserves. Head of the Forest Preserve District, Periwinkle here in Chicago, Cook County Forest Preserve, one of the largest forest preserve districts in the country. Multi-million dollar bond passed to make the forest preserve districts more productive, more user-friendly, have less invasive species. Where is the spirit of volunteerism for those of us who love our forest preserves and use our forest preserves, whether you're listening in Chicago or Minneapolis or Memphis or whatever you might be 
listening, where is the opportunity to participate in community efforts to improve our open spaces? Instead, everything is looked at from a point of view of how much does it cost to hire somebody to go and do these jobs? How many workers do we need to hire? The amount of money sloshing around in forest preserve districts across the country with a lot of these bond issues is a lot of money. If we had a spirit of volunteerism, which we have, but we enabled that volunteerism to be activated, we could get a lot done on a lot less money. I'm sure in Chicago area alone, there are literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of people who would answer the call to go into our forest preserves, whether it's Cook County, DuPage County, Lake County, it doesn't really matter which county, Kane County, and work on cleaning up our forest preserves and our open spaces, we would get the job done and we get it done quickly and people would feel, all of us would feel so much better about our communities because we did something to help improve something we care about. But nowhere in any of these referendums that I can find across the country does it, call, does it talk about how we activate volunteers to go and do things. It only talks about how we hire people and the people we need to train and the amount of money spent. I would offer, as I sign off for the break, that the money is not the problem. The issue is that we have lots of money. The issue is how do we organize this enormous goodwill of the people who utilize our parks and open spaces and activate us to be able to help make our open spaces better, not by paying us, but by enabling us to do things such as were done during the CCC programs and other programs. I'll be back in just a moment with much more on the Great Outdoors show. And when I do, I want to talk about a rather remarkable funding possibility from the U.S. government, which is going to make one listener in particular to this show enormously happy. You are listening to Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland, Chevrolet dealers. Hiking, camping, and hunting, it's all an adventure in the great outdoors, but nature can be tough. You need to be ready for anything and everything. Chevy Silverado is built to handle the toughest conditions and get you everywhere you want to go worry-free. Silverado's designed to handle the big jobs. It's built for the great outdoors. With over 13,000 pounds of towing capacity and trailering sway control, Silverado can haul the biggest loads on the roughest roads and keep you cool as a Sunday drive. With eight available cameras and up to 14 different views, it can spot trouble before it gets to you. That's peace of mind. And when you're ready for the backcountry, Chevy Silverado 1500 ZR2 owns the off-road. You name it, we run over it. No wonder it's Motor Trend's 2023 four-wheeler pickup truck of the year. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and check out a Chevy Silverado. It's freedom to explore the great outdoors. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Your host, Charlie Potter, here on WGN Radio. And if you're just joining me, thank you for joining me on the last show of the year, 2023, for uh, the Great Outdoors. It's a uh, real privilege to talk about this next subject, which I never thought would ever happen. And in 2024, as we talk about New Year's resolutions and things that can happen, I have one, and this one is dedicated to Jim Shear, who I know listens to this show regularly. Jim Shear listened to this show when Bill Cullerton hosted the show. 
I think Jim Shear was even on this show at one time. Jim Shear being a great friend of John Huzar's, Bill Cullerton, both of which rest their souls, and a longtime friend of mine. Jim Shear has done more for waterfowl in Illinois and elsewhere than most people realize. He was the father of the state duck stamp program in the state of Illinois. In the early 1970s, Jim Shear rallied the support to create the state duck stamp program in Illinois. It was his efforts that did it. He worked with the legislators. He worked with the the then Department of Conservation. And we have the Illinois state duck stamp, which has raised millions and millions of dollars, probably tens of millions at this point, for waterfowl conservation here and wetland conservation in the state of Illinois and in Canada. But in the late 1980s, Jim Shear had another idea, a friend of also many of us and a longtime listener, Chuck Urban from Ohio, called Jim Shear one day in June and said, Jim, they've got this thing over here in Ohio that they say helps, helps mallards nest successfully. It's a, it's a circular cylinder device and, and I think it would work. And Jim, you're on the board of the Delta Waterfowl Foundation, which then was known as the North American Wildlife Foundation, which at that time I happened to, to be the head of. And so Chuck Urban brought this device over, this cylinder, over to Jim Shear's farm. And Jim looked at it, and I went down, and believe it or not, John Huzar was with me when I went down to, to Jim's farm, and we looked at this thing. And Jim said, let's call it a hen house. It may have been unique to Jim, or maybe Chuck Urban said they're called hen houses. But anyway, Jim Shear looked at me and said, let's call it a hen house. John Huzar pulled out his pad and started to scribble as Jim Shear and I concocted an idea of how we would make thousands of these hen houses and transport them to the prairie breeding grounds to help hen mallards nest. That was back in 1989. In the summer of 1990, Jim Shear at his farm had a bunch of volunteers and and people helping, led by his son, Tim. And they literally built hundreds of hen houses. They got wire. They got hay. They rolled the hay inside of the wire as they wound the wire to a perfect cylinder shape. It looked like a hay bale open in the middle. And then they created a post at the bottom on which the hen house could be placed. And then they called Fred Keck, who at the time was the founder and chairman of Guaranteed Air Freight. And Fred Keck also was on the board of the Delta Waterfowl Foundation. And Fred Keck and I and Jim Shear hatched a plan, pun intended, to send these hen houses up to the Delta Marsh to be put up around Prairie, Manitoba. So Fred Keck had trucks arrive at Jim Shear's farm. I think it was two semis. And they were, over the course of the summer and fall, we had, I think, well over 1,000 hen houses made with donated material, Jim Shear got his friends in the construction business to donate wire, and other farmers donated hay. I don't think we paid a penny for any of the material. Most of the labor was volunteered. And in the winter, or late fall, Fred Keck sent two semis to Canada. Well, they arrived at the Canadian border, and, of course, there were no papers. Department of Agriculture hadn't approved the transport of hay into Canada. So Fred Keck and Jim Shear and I were able to do some talking with Canadian Fish and Wildlife Service at the time in Delta Waterfowl, and we got a special permit to enable these hen houses to go into Manitoba. One time, special permit, and across the border they went. And that was the beginning of what has become an extraordinarily successful program to put hen houses now all over the prairies. So why in 2024 
Am I saying this is one of the greatest gifts to conservation started by an Illinois resident, native, Jim Shear? It's because before Congress, there now is a bill that would fund a million and a half dollars a year to put hen houses on the prairie breeding grounds. I couldn't have imagined in 1989, and neither could have John Huzar, and certainly not Jim Shear or Fred Keck or any of us involved, that here we are 30 plus years later, and we are about to see a sizable amount of money going to building hen houses to put them up on the prairie breeding grounds. It's called the Hen Act. House Natural Resources Committee puts this out, and it's called the Hen Act that would provide a million and a half dollars annually for the construction and maintenance of hen houses. It's unbelievable to think that this idea, which has come from an individual Chuck Urban in Ohio, coming to Jim Shear and his farm in Illinois, building hen houses, to go to Fred Keck to get transferred to Canada, to be run all these years by the Delta Waterfowl Foundation, and they're now, I think there are over 25,000 hen houses up in Manitoba alone. I believe that's the case. Now the federal government finally says, wait a minute, you got a great idea. I'm so glad they've come to the party because hen houses are a fantastic way to raise mallards. They don't require any predator elimination. They increase the nesting success of a hen mallard by 70% or more, depending on where they're located. No, they don't do anything once the duckling is hatched and the duckling falls out of the hen house and, and drops to the water because the hen houses are placed over water. They don't increase the survival of that duckling. But what they do is they ensure that many, many more eggs hatch. So congratulations after all these years that finally we have the chance to see this taken on a much bigger scale. And it's been funded almost entirely to date on the backs of the private sector. People like Jim Shear advocating for it. And of course, now there are thousands and thousands of people who contribute annually to the making of hen houses. It's absolutely fantastic that the federal government now, if this bill passes, will have hen houses on a much larger scale being installed in proper habitat across the prairies. It can't hurt. It can only help. And that's what we've been saying since 1989. This can't hurt. It can only help. So, Jim Shear, I know you're listening this morning. Thank you for what you've done for conservation in Illinois from the beginning of the state duck stamp to the launching of what now is a tremendously successful program on the Canadian and U.S. prairies. The Hen House really should be named in your honor. Thanks for your leadership in conservation. And for all of you listening, if you have a chance, contact your legislator and ask them to support the Hen Act, which also provides funds to California to help with flooding of rice fields. But the most important part of this is the funding of hen houses. And just the moment I have left, I want to quickly talk about one other thing we want hopefully happen in 2024. It's obviously a national election year. How important will conservation be this time around? In 2020, we couldn't even be heard. All this talk, which I don't put in the category of conservation, all this talk about climate change and global warming and, and, all, and, and alternative energy sucked all the air out of the discussion of what traditionally is the discussion of conservation, the preservation of land, the preservation of water, the management of land, the management of water, the management and preservation of species. That's what conservation is founded in. And for the long-held belief is that conservation is the wise use of our natural resources. In 2024, 
Will we as conservationists, will those of you on the great, listening to the Great Outdoors show and myself and others and, and the ability to communicate be able to get any kind, any kind of traction on major conservation issues? I've outlined this morning a few issues that would be terrific to move to the forefront of the conservation discussion, which would make great progress in the future of conservation in America. Let's hope they get some traction in the upcoming political discussions. Most of all, I hope all of you have a wonderful, happy, and healthy 2024 in the great outdoors. Thank you for all your support of WGN Radio and the Great Outdoors Show over these 25 years now that I have done the show. I look forward to 2024 and bringing you many episodes of the Great Outdoors Show. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.